Turning to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be looking at an old old man who uh, had the joy of seeing Jesus. Uh, so Luke chapter two, verse twenty-two, and we'll read through verse thirty-eight. Looking particularly at Simeon. Luke chapter two, beginning at verse twenty-two. give our attention to God's word this morning and trust that the Lord has a word for us. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, that is Joseph and Mary, brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is, is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit has inspired these words to be written down and that that spirit also promises to come and give us understanding. Uh, We we pray, Lord, that you would help us to um, to be fed this morning spiritually, by your spirit and through your word, as we um, open this text together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you um, slightly older ones will remember, uh, 1987, uh, the rock band U2 uh, released their classic album, uh, The Joshua Tree, and uh, the second track on that album was uh, a song that I'm sure you've heard, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Uh, it's, a, it's a great tune with intrigue, uh, intriguing lyrics, and uh, even it makes, seems a reference to Christ. You took the cross, bore the shame, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, uh, it, it, it resonated, I think, with um, a, a culture uh, full of people with hungry souls who are desperately looking for the thing that satisfies and not able to find it. We live in a, uh, surrounded by people who have not found Uh, the thing that they're looking for, the thing that that deeply and truly satisfies the longings of the human heart. And tragically, most people live and die without ever finding what they were looking for. 
Well, our text this morning is the wonderful story of an old man who did, who found exactly what he was looking for. He'd been waiting and waiting, and, uh, and this day he found the Messiah. He found the Christ that God had promised. And on this day, he knew that he was looking at God's salvation at work, God in action, God rescuing a lost world. Um, this morning, we're going to just see Simeon's uh, his patience, his waiting, his faith, but we're going to see what God is doing, what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ, that, that God really has invaded this world uh, in the, with this little baby, uh, that life has penetrated a world that's gripped in death. And, uh, and we get to celebrate with Simeon, an old man who got to see the miracle of God's salvation, not just as casual observers, but as fellow participants and worshipers. Uh, the text begins with a godly young couple, uh, Joseph and Mary. <clears throat> We're told that Joseph and Mary go to, from Bethlehem uh, to the temple in Jerusalem, and they go there for two reasons. The first reason in verse 23 is they go to redeem Jesus as their firstborn son. Uh, and Luke quotes the text that explains what's happening. This is a text uh, taken from Exodus chapter 13, when uh, during the Passover, as God gives Israel um, commands regarding the Passover, one of the commands is that all the firstborn belong to him. Uh, and so th that means, boys and girls, that if you're the firstborn child, your mom and dad would have to, in a sense, uh, pay or buy you. Let's like say it that way. They would have to go to the priest and give money to the priest um, because, uh, and that money would be used for the worship of the Lord. That money is given to God because God claims the firstborn. They are mine. That's what he says. And so um, all godly Jewish parents would then uh, go to the temple and pay whatever was required to redeem the firstborn. So that's the first reason they're going. The second reason is in verse 24, they're going to offer a sacrifice for Mary's purification Having a child, she is ceremonially unclean. And as we studied in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 12, uh, after 40 days, then the, uh, the mother is to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. And um, the normal sacrifice would be a lamb, but the law makes allowance for those who couldn't afford a lamb, and that would be two turtle doves or uh, pigeons. And that's exactly what you see Joseph and Mary doing. They are do a devout young couple, Mary, Joseph undoubtedly older, but uh, they are going to worship the Lord in obedience, in faith, observing God's commands, and, um, and that's going to be an occasion for Simeon to see what he's waiting for. And the center of the story then is this, is this old man whose name is Simeon. We don't know exactly how old he was. Tradition has it he was over 100. We don't, we're not told for certain, but uh, we are told that uh, he was a righteous and devout citizen of Jerusalem. It's an important thing to know about Simeon is that he's a righteous man living in a struggling, to say it uh, kindly, a struggling city. Uh, Simeon is living in this hard tension between what Israel was supposed to be and what Israel actually was. Um, Israel was supposed to be, and Jerusalem was supposed to be, a great city, a light to the nations. 
Uh, Jerusalem was supposed to be a taste of heaven on earth. The, the temple was there. God's name was there. The sacrifices were there. Uh, Jerusalem was supposed to be the glory of the whole earth. That's what, um, that's what God intended for Jerusalem, as his name was there. But Jerusalem was, was far from that. Uh, Jerusalem was an absolute mess. Jerusalem was a place where if you were a godly person, it was a hard, bitter place because everywhere you looked, you saw uh, what uh, Jerusalem actually was in brokenness, in failure, in defeat. She's ruled by a pagan uh, Caesar in Rome. Uh, There are Roman soldiers roaming the streets. She's not the praise of the earth. She's she's scoffed at all over the world. she was uh, a broken down city. Her, her religious leaders are either um, the Sadducees who deny eternal things. The Sadducees did not even believe in a resurrection. You just live and you die and that's it. They're not looking forward to anything but what this world has to offer. And that's what they were doing. The Sadducees were, were often very, very wealthy. And so that's on one hand you have the Sadducees. On the other hand you have the Pharisees who burdened the people with their self-righteous legalistic additions to the law, uh, adding to the people burdens that they themselves were unwilling to carry. And that's what you have for your spiritual leaders. God's holy city is, is a hard place if you're a devout and godly person. It is a spiritually bankrupt place in many ways, morally bankrupt as well. And, and um, well, that's where Simeon lives. Some of you maybe are living there this morning, and you experience the tension between what you hoped to be, what you know you ought to be, what you should be, and what you are. And maybe you're even feeling that as we close out another year, that this has been, um, it's not been a great year, been a lot of struggle, a lot of sin. Uh, you, you, a lot of the promises that you made um, when this year began went unkept, unmet. It's a, it's a hard place to be. When, uh, to be a Christian, in some sense, means that we, well, there are, there are burdens that we carry that, that people who don't know the Lord don't carry. Um, we, we know what we're supposed to be. We, we know what God has called us to be and, and what God desires us to be. And we have a sense of what we ought to be. And, and those those realities and those expectations and those desires. We want to be these things. Well, it can be a burden. It can be depressing. It can weigh, it can weigh down on us. Well, Simeon is a devout, godly man living in that tension between what, what ought to be and what is. But Simeon lives there in faith. Simeon lives there with a man with great confidence. A man uh, who is waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. A Simeon, you see, has his Old Testament Bible. Of course, he does known one. There would be the scrolls at the temple, which would be read. But, but, but he would know of God's promises. For instance, through the prophet Isaiah. I'll give you an example, chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins, double mercy for all of her sin. Behold, verse 10, the Lord comes with might. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. 
He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God had promised to heal Israel, to heal Jerusalem, to comfort her, to restore her, to make her what she was supposed to be. And Simeon is waiting for it. Uh, The word here, waiting, means more than just how we use the term. We use the term uh, for like if you're waiting in line at the grocery store or at an amusement park or you're waiting for someone to call you back. The word here is, um, well, it's evidence of his righteous, devout nature. It's a a spiritual gift in a sense. It's a fruit. Um, Notice how Luke writes it, that this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. An evidence of the fact that he's righteous, an evidence of his devout um, nature is his faith. He's waiting for God to fulfill his promise. Uh, You see that that idea characterizes the community of faith. You see it even in our text, verse 38, when Anna, having seen Jesus, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. How do you find the true people of God in Jerusalem? They're the people who are waiting, the people who have not accepted this uh, the way Jerusalem was as the way it would always be. That um, people who believed that God was going to do a great work, that God was going to be faithful to his promise, that, that, that the way things were, were is not going to be the way they always were. That God had a purpose and a plan, and, and they were waiting then for God to carry out that plan. Um, this, you'll find this throughout the Bible. This is a way of describing people of true faith. In Mark chapter 15, 43, for example, Joseph of Arimathea, remember the man who took Jesus' body down from the cross and and provided a tomb, he is described as a man who was looking for the kingdom of God. He was looking for the kingdom of God. Uh, In Hebrews 9, 28, we're told that Christ will appear a second time to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's the evidence of a community of true faith. And Simeon evidences that faith, that that alertness, that expectation. In a sense, he's on his tiptoes. He's looking, he's praying, he's waiting for God to show up and fulfill his word. Well, in verse 26, we're, um, we're given the reason for his confidence it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We don't know how that happened, but somehow it was communicated to, to Simeon by the Spirit that um, the Christ, the birth of the Messiah was imminent and that he was going to see it and that he would not die before he had. Well, that explains a lot about Simeon, doesn't it? That explains uh, his confident expectation. Simeon knows. He's not just hoping. He knows by the word and spirit that the Messiah is going to come in his lifetime. Think about what that would have done for Simeon's sort of uh, emotional well-being or or sort of spiritual outlook as he lived his day-to-day life. What What a joyful way to live. He could look at all the mess He could look at the ruin. He could look at the stupidity, the foolishness, the wickedness that he saw all around him. And yet he would know it's not going to stay like this. 
Man's stupidity and foolishness and wickedness is not going to be the last word. In fact, very, very soon in my lifetime, the Messiah is going to appear. Imagine that the Spirit communicates to you, you are not going to die until Jesus came again. How would that impact your life? Well, you would kind of walk around with a smile on your face. You see the nations of the world boasting and puffing themselves up and threatening, and, and, and uh, you see all the wickedness and the, the, uh, the new atheists, right, um, making their, their charges against the Christian faith. You'd see all the brokenness around you. You'd, you'd see the brokenness within you. And you would have this, this confidence, this conviction. It's almost done. Very, very soon, it's all going to be over. And Jesus, the clouds are going to part, and Jesus is going to appear, and I'm going to walk into that new heaven and that new earth. It would change the way you think. It would change the way you feel, change the way that you live. Well, that's how, that's how Simeon lived, as he lived by faith. Salvation was on the way. It was so close. And then the day came when faith became sight. Verse 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. There was no glory in Israel um, until Jesus showed up. It was Ichabod. The glory had departed. And yet Simeon, as he holds this little baby, sees glory for Israel and a light for the nations, for the Gentiles. He sees God's salvation there in his, in his arms. My eyes have seen your salvation. Other people just saw a baby. Simeon, by faith, saw a Savior. God himself at work to rescue a lost and ruined world. And this, uh, Simeon sees the scope and the nature of it. It's not just a Jewish Messiah. It's a Messiah for the whole world. Jew and Gentiles alike are going to be caught up in God's cosmic plan of redemption. And the nature of it, well, he speaks of it as a light. A light for revelation. You see, we live in a world that is, it's just blind. It's in the dark. It can't see. When you, when, you, when you hear people say foolish things about the meaning of life and foolish things about what lies after the grave, when, when people say foolish things about what will make you happy, well, you, you just know they're, they're talking about things they don't understand. They're in the dark. They don't, they don't see what life actually is about. They don't see what actually brings joy. They don't see the reality of, of a, a, a coming day of judgment. They don't see the wonder of a promise of a new heaven and a new earth. It's just, it's just it's cut off. They don't, they don't see it. And that's where we all are by sinful nature. And, and yet the glory of the gospel is that when God sends Jesus, the light goes on. And suddenly for the first time, um, we can see the truth about God and the truth about the world, the truth about our life, the truth about eternity. 
Isaiah again talks of it. Arise, shine. We read it at the beginning of the service. Why? Your light has come. The light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. John talks about in his gospel, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, and it will never overcome it. The light shines. That's the beautiful thing today. As we worship in this place, we have brothers and sisters all over the world worshiping, living in the light, rejoicing in the light, walking in the light. Some of them are hiding in caves because their governments are, are oppressing them and, and um, will either arrest or kill them. That's just reality. Some are in little huts. Some are in, in uh, just shelters maybe under trees. And yet all over the world today, the light is shining, the gospel is being proclaimed, and people are, are, are gathering together by the power of God in that light. Jesus Christ, friends, is at work today in the world, in this dark world. To make the blind see. He is the truth and the light. Well, Simeon also has a word for Mary and Joseph. In verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Simeon prophesies. We're told the Spirit is on him. And he prophesies by the Spirit that Jesus is going to be a rock upon which some stand and others fall. He's going to be the great dividing line of humanity. He's going to be opposed. He's going to come to his own, and his own will not receive him. He's going to be preached in the world, and people will think it's foolishness. And that's exactly what you see happening in, in, in the, the book of Acts, and even in Jesus' own ministry. Um, people just shake their head. It's, this, is, this is foolishness. The glorious light of God's truth and grace is going to be resisted in the world. Simeon prophesies it. Jesus tells us why it's happening in John chapter 3. He says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. People love the darkness. That's just, that's just the truth. Uh, people want to do what they want to do. They want to serve the flesh. They, they like the bondage. Again, that is sin. That's not just some weird wrinkle in humanity. That's, that's, that's how we're born. That's what we need to be rescued from. And Jesus, you see, is opposed because Jesus exposes the reality of the human heart. Notice Simeon says that the thoughts of the hearts of many will be revealed. That means that the secret thoughts of your heart, the The truth about you is going to be exposed. Proverbs, the old King James Version in Proverbs 23, uh, verse 7, says, as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. The secret thoughts of your heart, that's the truth in a sense about you. That's what moves you, motivates you to do what you do, and to to say what you say. And, And Jesus is going to reveal the truth about you. The truth about me whether that's the truth of your faith or the truth of your unbelief, whether it's the truth about your righteousness, your obedience, your repentance, or the truth about your rebellion. You can, you can come to church, right, and nobody knows the truth. But Jesus does, and he's going to expose it. It's going to be laid bare. 
There will be no hiding. No pretending. What we actually really are is going to be, is going to be laid bare before Jesus Christ, you see, uh, and, and then we'll be held accountable to him. Jesus, friends, is the most critical thing that you'll ever have to deal with, isn't he? You can't escape him. And Jesus is the great divide of all humanity. You see, we, people tend to divide people up by uh, lots of different ways, by skin color, by age, by political party, religious affiliation, economic class. We've got all different sorts of ways of, of dividing up humanity. God only has two categories, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. That's it. You're either in Adam and, and his sin belongs to you and his weakness, his death, the curse that came on him belongs to you, or by the, by the miracle of grace, you have become a new creation and you are now in Christ. And, and that's the only categories God recognizes. Jesus is the great dividing line of history. Is the great issue of your life. The, 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 the eternal question of your life is, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? And you, and you maybe are sitting here this morning just scoffing at the notion of it. You will not scoff when you see him face to face. And maybe even this morning, you're not, maybe this morning you're not sure what you've done with Christ. Well, the beautiful thing about the gospel is you can be sure that this is a day of grace and, and, and we can day after day repent, can't we? And turn again to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I, want, I do want you to be Lord of my life. I really do. I, I want to love you and I want to serve you. I want to know you. I want to be useful to you. Those are prayers that God loves to answer. Well, what does this salvation mean for Simeon? It means that he can depart in peace. Let your servant depart in peace according to your word. It's okay to die because dying isn't really death when you know the Messiah. He has seen the Christ. He's seen God's salvation. And he's ready to go home. Well, friends, how does this, what does this text have to say to us? <clears throat> well, Luke, again, remember, is writing to a young man, uh, Theopolis, and he's seeking to encourage him in his faith. And I think Luke has the same purpose for us. We need encouragement. There's a lot of discouraged Christians. A lot of people who, they just live in the tension. And I do, too of what we're supposed to be, of, what, of how life is, we, how we expected it to be, what we know it ought to be, and then what it really is. Our families so often fail to, to live up to sort of the standard we have in our mind of what a Christian family should look like, and our marriages so often fail to live up to what a Christian marriage ought to look like. And in our own hearts, we, we recognize we, we just, we're not what we ought to be. We're not what we want to be, and it's, and it's heavy, it's hard, and we can despair. But you see, friends, that's the beauty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, because God sent his son Jesus Christ so that we could see his salvation, and what he purposes, and what he promises, and, and what he purposes, and what he promises for his people is everything that's wrong, everything that is not as it should be is going to be changed, transformed, renewed, so that there is more glory for you than you could ever imagine. Jesus promises that. And our calling then is to lay hold of that fact, like Simeon did, to be alert to it, awake to it. 
That yes, right now we live in the tension of between what ought to be and what is, but one day we're going to live in the glory of everything that is how it ought to be. Everything. All your relationships in your own heart and the whole world, every aspect of creation will be how it ought to be, and it's coming soon. Jesus promised it's coming soon. And so we can live our lives then, friends, because you see, Christmas is true. We can live our lives anchored to the promise of God. God promised it. We can trust it. We can believe it. We can stand on it. We can look forward to it. I remember, uh, oh, man, some years ago now, there was a movie uh, by Christopher Nolan uh, called Interstellar. I'm I'm not going to recommend it because I haven't watched it for a while, but it had a great ending. So... Watch with discretion or just do your review on it. But if you remember the movie Interstellar, uh, the world is ruined. People can't live there anymore. Uh, we've destroyed it. And so uh, the main character, Cooter, is, is asked to participate in a journey to go look for another world. That has some Christian ring to it. And so he does, but his, he leaves behind his, 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 his children, particularly his, his young daughter, who he's very close to. And she begs him not to go, and he says, he promises, Murph, I promise I'll come back. Well, he heads off to his great adventure looking for the new world, and things don't go right, um, but he finally, finally, miraculously is able to come back, or finds her again, and she's a very, very old person. She's on her deathbed. And, and such a touching scene at the end where he's, he's still young because time travel, all that stuff, but... He, but <clears throat> But she's very old, and she is uh, beaming on her deathbed. And she says, I knew you'd come back. And everybody laughed at me. Everybody said you were dead. But I knew, I knew you'd come back. And he says, Murph, how did you know? She said, because my dad promised me. My dad promised me. Friends, that's exactly what we have. Our Father has promised us. Jesus has promised us. And he's not going to break his promise. He's coming back. Let's live like we believe it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father in heaven, I thank you for your promise to people like us. We sense our weakness. We, We grieve our sin. We look at a world around us that's in shambles, and so much is not the way it ought to be. But, oh God, our Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we have the proof that one day it will be. For Jesus Christ came into this very world to make it new and to, call, to catch us up in his great redemption. And, and so, Lord, we live now by faith not by sight, but Lord, we we know that one day faith will be replaced as our eyes see the beauty of Jesus and our eyes see the new heaven and the new earth and we experience the glory of God in our own glorified bodies. And Lord, I pray that that truth would buoy us up, give us hope and joy and peace in the midst, Lord, of the suffering and the brokenness in us and around us that we would know that we have your word, that this is not how the story ends, but there's a vast 
great and glorious future for God's people. And we live, Lord, we can live today then in peace, in peace. Christ is coming again. May the, the truth of that, Lord, fill our hearts with joy and hope and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing the song of Simeon. I'm going to have Joanne just play it through one time. It's not as familiar, so she'll play it through, and then let's stand, and we'll sing Simeon's song. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace till he come again. Amen.